he he didn't know at the time that I'd had these suicidal thoughts. But for me, it was either move to Germany and start from scratch. So I mean, remove alcohol from my life, start a new group of friends, a new job, or stay in New Zealand and probably kill myself. It was a choice of sobriety or suicides. That was the, the way that I formulated it. And that's what pushed me to take action to become sober. It was the, the fear of wanting to commit suicide and the fear of having these nagging feelings that are fueled by alcohol and the fact that alcohol had always been a problem throughout my life. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe Leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol, and then we help them to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from our Sober Spring WhatsApp group. I joined Tribe Sober in June 2020 after years of trying to either moderate or ditch the booze for good. I could never get it right, but after joining the tribe with the inspiration and the continuous support, I only wish I'd joined sooner. Being with Tribe Sober made me see that I didn't have a problem, but rather an opportunity to create a life I didn't want to escape from. It took me a whole year and 84 day ones, but I never gave up and the tribe never gave up on me. I'm happy to say I'm close to four months sober and loving my sober life and continue to grow with my tribe. Thank you Tribe Sober for saving me from the toxic relationship I had with alcohol. I don't ever see myself going back. So if you want to join our community and do your sober spring, just go to tribesober.com and check us out. My guest this week is quite a bit younger than many of my guests. He began drinking at the age of 13 and after a couple of hectic decades, finds himself in recovery in his early 30s. Liam is a Brit living in Germany and describes himself as an artist, a thinker, a musician and a writer. I came across him on Medium as he's written some amazing articles for that platform. As you'll hear from his story, his creativity and particularly his writing is playing a major role in his recovery. So I began by asking Liam to introduce himself. My name's Liam. I was born and raised in the UK in southern England. Um, my upbringing was great. I skateboarded, surfed, was outboard, outside a lot. Um, very creative, read a lot, generally enjoyed life as a child, was very, very reckless. My mum my used to joke and say that I had a, a membership to the hospital 
because we'd be there once or twice a month and I'd break a bone or um, fracture my skull or yeah, just being, being a boy, I suppose. And then I think that's where um, skating came, skateboarding came into it because it was still kind of a, a reckless activity, but a tiny bit more structured, not just climbing down cliffs or climbing up trees. Um, and that grasped my, my heart for a little while. But thinking back, that may have been where some of the problems started because I got in with a, a group of people who skateboarded um, and they drunk and uh, smoked cannabis and smoked cigarettes. And because I wanted to be part of the group and accepted, I, I went along with that. And I have a very vivid memory of my first time drinking. And in my mind, getting drunk was drinking to blackout because I'd never been yeah. drunk before. That's how I perceived perceived it to be. Um, so I drank half a litre of vodka, which, I mean, for your first time is, <laughs> yeah, very dangerous, aside from the fact, and obviously blacked out. So I achieved my goal um, and woke up the next day covered in sick on my friend's sofa with a very angry mother who was annoyed that I'd drunk her vodka for one. The fact that I was a 13-year-old in her house. Your poor mum, I'm beginning to feel sorry for her with all these broken bones and then drinking her vodka. <laughs> yes, I, I have apologised many times for my <laughs> reckless teenage years. Thankfully, she I'm, still loves me. <laughs> I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does. Okay, so vodka at 13 and then you just carried on drinking? Basically, yeah. It was... Um, a few times a week. Um, and as you're from the UK, I'm sure you're familiar with White Lightning, the, yeah, the yeah. big three or five litre bottles, I can't remember, for two pounds or something ridiculous like that. So that would be the, the I'd say, the main staple of my drinking diet, <laughs> that or vodka. Um, so yeah, from 13 to 16, that was normal three or four times a week. And then from 16, um, I started taking drugs. So on my 16th birthday, I started with ecstasy and then it just went from there and then went hand in hand with the, the blackout drinking, which was ingrained in my in my mind. And then taking drugs to top up the fun. Once again, I just wanted to be accepted into some sort of tribe or something to make me feel at home, but I could never quite reach that stage and so I carried on bouncing around, just experimenting. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of um, the five stages of addiction. Uh, yes, talk us through it, though. So everybody starts off experimenting, whether you're smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol, snorting cocaine. It's all an experiment to start off with. And then if you enjoy said experiment then you'll move on to regular use which in the uk is binge drinking every weekend and uh, that's socially acceptable um which can then lead on to further problems as you as you stem from regular use you go into what would be called dangerous use so that's stage three where you start getting blackout drunk or you start passing out um, and then possibly putting your life at risk because you're, you're sick and you choke on your sick or you take too many drugs and overdose. As that stage um, evolves, it turns into dependent use, 
which is when you feel the need to take the drugs. So say, for example, I felt the need to carry on drinking because I didn't enjoy my life and I wanted to, to find some way to escape. And then eventually that turns into addiction. So that's when the chemical buildup of the brain changes and then basically you need whichever substance it is to survive because the body feels yeah. like it, it needs that. And luckily, I didn't get to that stage, which I'm very thankful for and also very shocked because of the, the span of time. It was from 13 to 32 that I drunk, so almost two decades. Thankfully, my brain <laughs> held itself together and didn't break yeah. down into into addiction. But it, I mean, it broke down and um, I, I wanted to commit suicide, but we'll, we'll come back to that later. Yeah, well, what kind of age were you when you started thinking, I've got to make a change? I would say around about 24, 25. That was when I, I really noticed the habits evolving. That would be the, the drinking every weekend, drinking for a birthday, coming home after a stressful day of work and drinking and just any excuse to drink. It was, yeah. you need to drink what, to have fun. Yeah, yeah. And what, <laughs> once you'd realized that, Liam, did, did you try to cut down? Did you try to go through weekends without binge drinking? Did you have any periods of sobriety? Honestly, I couldn't tell you how many times I tried. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and when I really started acknowledging that I had a problem was when the, the relapses would be, let's say, from like a week to a month of purely being drunk. And I mean, from waking up and drinking to drinking through to the night. And then I'd realize how ridiculous that was. So then I'd try and moderate or cut back completely and then have one or two and boom the, the yeah. chemicals in my brain go okay now we want more alcohol and yeah yeah, yeah I heard this uh, great analogy the other day about those of us that can't moderate basically if if we've got this dependence on alcohol and we we try to moderate we we switch back, even though we can manage it maybe for a week, for two weeks, we'll eventually switch back to our previous patterns because we've got that drinking neural pathway there. And it's so powerful. It's almost as powerful as our mother tongue. Well, you, you live in Germany. So when you're chatting to your German friends, you know, you can switch to English if you get a call from your mum instantly. So that's because you've got this neural pathway that knows how exactly. to speak English. And that's how the drinking is. And I think that's that's such a powerful uh, analogy. And in a nutshell, really, we, if, once we've crossed a line with our drinking, there's no going back, is there? You know, we can try Absolutely and moderate not. and drive ourselves crazy. But at some point, we have to accept that's it. You know, I can't drink. I've now got to create a life that I don't want to escape from, you know, a better life, alcohol-free life. So it's um, it's it's such a waste of time. And I, I mentioned before, I hit record that a study has been done recently that it takes the average person 11 years to actually make a change from the time that they know that there's a problem 
I mean, I knew for more than 11 years, probably knew for 20 years, but I had this constant struggle. You know, I had my conscious mind was saying, you've got to do something about your drinking. Mm. And my subconscious was saying, but how will I have fun? You know, I'll lose all my friends <laughs> and how will I relax? So you've got this battle going on internally. It's exhausting. And, and that's because of the, the pressure from society. I can imagine being an, an alcoholic or addicted to alcohol, however you want to frame it, must be incredibly hard. Because if you're addicted to, and I'm not saying that these substances aren't as addictive, but if you're addicted to, say, cocaine or heroin, you have to actively search for these substances and go into a drug dealer. But with alcohol, it's on films, radio, in the supermarkets, in every street corner in the UK. You literally can't escape. So you've always got that pull to, to go back to drinking and then you have the social aspects and family members drink and I mean I've, I've read a few articles on people going to say a two or three year old party and yeah, wanting yeah. to bring a bottle of wine just because you know it's mother time or yeah mum needs wine that that kind of culture and that's that's the mommy juice I mean yeah. my son's probably the same age as you but when he was little we used to do it you know we'd go to the party the kids were running around on the sugar high and the moms were all there drinking that wine yeah. and it's got even worse now yeah it's that that's kind of combination the comparison with hard drugs as well though because alcohol kills far more people than than all the hard drugs put together. I think uh, the stats are something like 3 million people a year die from alcohol-related diseases. I mean, it's, it's hectic. Also, another interesting statistic, which is, um, yeah, I haven't read an updated study, but in 2018, there was a study done, and it was said that I think it was 3 million people um, over the age of 12 experimented with some form of drug for the first time in their lives so you think about from the age of 12 that's three million new people a year that are at risk of becoming addicted and i always think the thing with alcohol if you tell your friends that you've stopped drinking they'll give you a hard time and say you know what what are you thinking but if you tell them you've given up cocaine or you're not taking heroin anymore that most of them would be rather pleased with you exactly and yeah I, well that would be i mean it's not hilarious but i can imagine sitting around the a, a dinner table with your friends and just casually dropping in oh yeah by the way i've stopped taking heroin and they'd go oh good yeah <laughs> but you say no no wine for me thank you and it's a different story isn't it's it it's why what's wrong with you yeah, yeah. And then they say, oh, do you have a problem then? So mm -hmm. it's, uh, and that kind of thing keeps a lot of people trapped, you know, because a lot of us, we don't want to be the center of attention. We don't want people to think that we've got a problem. So in a way, you know, you have to learn to be, be open and be vulnerable about it. Exactly. And that's why people will always bounce from the, the, the stages of substance abuse will always be some form of regular abuse because there is that pressure there. Yeah, then yeah. if they if they get depressed, say for example, then it becomes dangerous use because they'll start drinking alone and then over years that stem into addiction. So yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. 
So, so we met Liam because we both write for Medium, and I've been reading your articles for a long time, and you write beautifully. Thank and you. some of your articles are quite heartbreaking, actually. You, you, you talked about you know alcohol taking you to the depths of despair, and it sounded like it brought you very low indeed. And uh, I wondered if you could explain that 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 feeling, that place it brought you to. <laughs> The place it brought me to was terrifying. I was drinking to a, escape a, a horrible life that I created for myself. I mean, on the surface, people would think I was insane. I lived in New Zealand. Um, I had a stable career. I had a good set of friends around me, nice car, all of those things. But internally, I was just slowly becoming more and more depressed. And alcohol was the fuel to that. Uh, as it's widely known, it's a depressant. So I'd drink to escape my sad thoughts and then wake up even more depressed and sad. So I'd have to carry on drinking to, to top up my, my perceived happiness, so to say, to get that, that kick of dopamine and then drive me through the day. So before I, I uh, contemplated suicide, it was, uh, it was over, say, six or so months where I'd started drinking a, a ridiculous amount at the minimum of two bottles of wine a day. And then on the weekends, top that up with another half a liter of some some form of spirit and and maybe some drugs. And the combination of that just destroyed my body and mind, really. And the, the dark thoughts started growing and they were being fed off of the fuel of the alcohol. In the end, um, I woke up one day and just didn't want to exist anymore. There was, it was the weirdest experience because I didn't want to end my life because obviously my family and friends would be upset but for my own personal happiness I wanted to escape I just wished that there was a way to erase myself and to have never existed to have never have to had this experience but of course that's not possible wow. um, and, and, and how did you get back from that Liam because here you are you look fit handsome <laughs> happy Oh, you how, how did you climb out of that? <laughs> well, um, after this event, um, I, I carried on drinking because I wanted to, to remove these thoughts from my head. Then I started getting some extreme pains in my chest and thought I was having a, a heart attack or, or my body was shutting down and went to the hospital, had an ECG and the, the doctor warned me that my excessive drinking was putting my liver and kidney at failure and I was borderline organ failure so everything so the suicidal thoughts the excessive drinking the warning from the doctor stemmed me to be to take some action and then my best friend visited me and said I can tell that you're really unhappy I don't know what to suggest what should you do impulsively and very drunkenly I said okay I'll move to Germany so he said no no no. you need to think about this a little bit this this is very irrational and very impulsive and so we woke up the next day very hungover and I said, I'm just going to do this. He, he didn't know at the time that I'd had these suicidal thoughts. But for me, it was either move to Germany and start from scratch. So, I mean, remove alcohol from my life, start a new group of friends, a new job or stay in New Zealand and probably kill myself. It was a choice of sobriety or suicides. That was the, the way that I formulated it. And that's what pushed me to take action to become sober. It was the, the fear of wanting to commit suicide 
and the fear of having these nagging feelings that are fueled by alcohol and the fact that alcohol had always been a problem throughout my life. Some people, it's just not for them, is it? Because uh, I don't think you're you're like me, because I'm one of these people that drank quite happily in my 20s, my 30s, and it was only later on that I started getting dependent and the bottle of wine a day came in and I was using it to to de-stress, you know, just at the end of the day. I've, I've never been into the kind of hectic binge drinking. And I think, you know, if if it happens to you at that age, you know, if you just want, want it so much and it's doing you so much harm, it's such a clear message, isn't it, that uh, you've got to stop. Whereas for me, it's sneaked up on me over the decades. But you, it's kind of like a sledgehammer, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, exactly. And I mean, I, I, I started journaling around about 2017, 2018. And during that time, um, I wrote a lot about alcohol, which is why I started to write on Medium as well, because there's always been that writing aspect in my life. Um, And looking back on these pages, you can just see the despair in my words as if the page is just screaming at me, like, please just help yourself. Like, you need to help yourself. You're you're writing this, your body and brain knows what's good for you, but you're choosing to ignore it. And yeah, I did carry on ignoring it. So looking back on these words is a a good reminder. And then looking back on my life, I mean, I got charged with drink driving when I was 17. I drank two bottles of wine and passed out and in quite a hilarious accident, I crashed into a policeman's garden. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I mean, the, the drink driving is obviously not hilarious because I could have killed myself, my friend in the car or someone else. And then there's been other times where I've drank too much in the airport and passed out and missed an international flight or passed out and uh, split my face open. So it, like you said, it was always a problem. I was either drinking to escape something or drinking to excess and damaging myself. And your move to Germany, did that work? Because it is quite a good strategy to kind of dump your drinking bodies in your usual environment and try and start completely afresh. Is that what you did? Did that work? 100%. I I honestly don't think I would have been able to do it if I'd stayed in New Zealand or moved back to the UK. I figured if I move to a new country and people only know me as sober Liam, they yeah. can either like it or, or lump yeah, it, as we'd exactly. say. And yeah. that, and it's worked out perfectly. Fantastic. I actually managed to move into a, an amazing house with an amazing um, German man who, who I've seen drink, I'd say, maybe four beers in the nine months that I've lived with him. <laughs> so that's worked out very well. I've, I've met an amazing woman here who who rarely drinks as well. And it just seems like everything has has fallen into place very nicely because there is always that fear when people contemplate drinking. Like, obviously, I don't know if I could say advise people to to uproot their lives and move halfway across the world. Um, Well, in your (laughs) case, I I would say that you saved your life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, It was a no brainer. If if any of your listeners have the opportunity to do that, yeah. I would say 100% do that. Obviously, if you've got children or a mortgage, it's not that easy. But for, for me, I just sold everything. I, I paid off any debts so I could come here and start completely with a completely clean slate. 
I'd say that the main thing that helped me was being able to come here and be like, okay, I'm sober. If you don't like that, then you yeah. don't belong in my life. Was, and what do you <clears> say to uh, the nosy people that will say, oh, you don't drink? Is that because you've got a problem? Do people say that? or No. Or you just say, I don't like alcohol. What do you say? Recently, I've been saying that. When I initially came here, I'd just say I don't want don't want to drink. And people would, if, if people were more curious, they'd ask why. And I found that the, the more confident you are in your answers, the, the less that they generally question your yeah. decision. So I'd say I had a, a, a major health scare, which was... Well, you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Wasn't it organ failure? That's pretty organ major. Failure. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and then if they do really keep on pressing me, and it, it's only happened a few times, then I can say, well, I drank so much that I wanted to commit suicide, and that's why I don't want to do it. And then it's a, a, a no-go. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if you come across rude people, you know, that just won't get off your case, just be blunt, you know, because it's really none of their business. I sometimes say, oh, well, I'm an alcoholic, you know, if they give me a hard time and they go, oh, all right, then <laughs> and they yeah. back off. <laughs> exactly. That's it. And, and I think that's probably one of my main things that I would advise for people as well is just be honest about it. Because if you start yeah. lying, then it, you obviously don't seem as, a, as confident. It, and and yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about your reasoning. People no, can't no. force, they can't pin you on the floor and force a drink down your neck. It's No, it's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. You, you don't say to a vegetarian, oh, go on, just have one steak, do you? I think, and I think the longer that you're sober, the more confident you feel and you can even start having fun with it uh, eventually. Exactly. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So how long have you been sober now, Liam? I'm... Own, oh, I would say only because that uh, um, I've no. been sober for a year now. Coming up a on year. year. Oh, yeah. fantastic! So, when's your soberversary? That would be twenty sixth of October. I'm gonna contact you on that date and ask you to write a goodbye to alcohol letter, and you can publish it in the medium. It'll be brilliant. Okay, you, you that's call, the deal. I'll send you some <laughs> other examples. Yes. So what's it been like this 10 months? Because it's it's not that long. And I, I went through quite a low period after I'd been three or four months uh, sober. It was just, I think it was like a grief period. You know, we do, we do grieve for alcohol. We have to accept that if it's been a friend for as long as mine had. Yeah, and I felt quite low for a couple of months. And did, did you have that as you're a bit prone to depression? Or have you just felt quite good all the way? I've actually still got depression. I'll be honest about that. Um, yeah. It's been diagnosed in the past couple of weeks. It's, I'd say around two or three months is when I really wanted to start drinking again. Yeah. Just to kind of get a little bit of fun in my life. I was working a terrible job at the time, which would be overnight jobs. So from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., it was horrible. It was snowing, and I felt like I'd made the, the wrong decision to move to yeah. Germany. I, I had a very small group of friends, and it seemed like alcohol was 
the answer, but just managed to push through that. And that's how writing gave me some accountability because I started writing about um, being sober and the pains in my life. It felt like I'd be a disappointment to the, to the readers and to myself if I started drinking again, because then I obviously can't write about sobriety if I'm (laughs) getting pissed every weekend. We'd see through it exactly, <laughs> in your yeah. writing. We'd go, oh no, it's drinking again. <laughs> and and then in in the process of writing, there's the education factor because you're when you're writing an article, you'll look for a journal or something to support what you're saying, and then get caught up in a, <laughs> a downhill spiral of reading multiple journals and then just realizing how much of a toxic substance Absolutely. alcohol really is. And I think that, the more the more we discover, the more we learn about it, the less we want to drink it, really, because it's it's crazy stuff, isn't it? It's ethanol that we put in our cars, and it's uh, it's linked to seven different types of cancer, isn't it? I've got I do workshops, and I've got these really gruesome slides that I use just to frighten people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the uh, slides, it's got this uh, very glamorous lady, but she's holding a bottle of something, and she's just drinking out of the bottle and it's got this snake you know going down her mouth her throat mm-hmm. her voice spots uh, all all the way down you know to the stomach and all the places that the alcohol is touching that's where you're kind of prone to cancer so it, it you know it just it's, shows it's so obvious exactly and destroys you both internally and externally like it causes yeah. so many problems to relationships and yeah. puts your job at risk yeah. I mean, the blackouts, they just start. I started having, I mean, I, I've always had the kind of blackouts where everything gets a bit blurry towards the end of the evening. And I used to wake up and look for my handbag and my jacket, you know, this kind <laughs> of feeling. That was pretty normal. It never, never really bothered me. But then I started having blackouts where I couldn't remember anything. You know, I couldn't remember it's what I'd said. And oh, it was... Um, I thought, what am I doing to my brain here? You know, and then I, I Googled it and it said that so it's not that you're you're forget stuff, but your brain is so soaked in alcohol that it can't create memories in the first place. And I thought, oh, I don't so, like that. <laughs> and then you get that one little piece of information and think, well, what else is it doing to my body then? If it's yeah. if it's affecting a serious organ, how is it affecting everything else and poisoning? Well, well done you for getting the picture at such a tender age that your your future is going to be so different. Do you ever think about that? You know, think about the next 20 years. If you'd been drinking like you were drinking, well, I doubt whether you would have made 20 years. But now, you know, you've got a whole very interesting and uh, an exciting life ahead of you. And I I think that that's a, a good thing to remember because even though I've, I've quit drinking now, there is still a, a lot of regret about not quitting sooner. And oh. I, I don't know if you've experienced that. And you know, I mean, it's mm. it's ridiculous looking back, back on the past because you can't change it, mm. but it, it still creeps into your mind and you think, oh, how different my life would have been if I didn't waste all of this money on alcohol or if I didn't do X thing and ruin this relationship or lose this job due to alcohol. I don't know. People have various problems in their lives due to alcohol so I feel like when people become sober they do experience a sense of grief but I Mm. think the way that you've put it's quite nice is because now 
I can look forwards and other people can look forward yeah. when they become sober yeah. and think how much better my life's going to be. Absolutely. It's and think about, uh, I'm sure you know Ross, Russell Brand, don't you? Oh, well, oh yes. He, yeah. <laughs> how can we not? Uh, well, he says, uh, and I quite like this uh, kind of take on it, he says that us people that have been addicted to whatever substance it's almost as if we've been forced to the wall, you know, and we've we've hit rock bottom or whatever's happened to us, and we've had to to rebuild our lives and recreate ourselves and uh, get to know ourselves, and we, we've had to kind of dig deep. And people that don't have our kind of problems, that they, they they maybe you know just skim the surface of life. And you have done so much. I mean, you've started Tribe Sober now, which came from your sobriety, which if yeah. you carried on drinking, that would have never happened. I know. So yeah. you, you might have, well, you would have been in a totally different place in life. Yeah, I doubt whether I would have been alive because I'd already had breast cancer. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do get a lot of comfort from the fact that the, the very darkest period in my life, which was just before I uh, I gave up, has led you know to so much light you know and mm -hmm. connection and and hope because connection is the opposite of addiction and i've managed to connect with the most amazing people people that i never would have met in my normal life and of course you know we're lucky with the the internet to to be oh, so yes. international now because uh, i used to do all my workshops physically and just travel around i'd go to london and various places in South Africa, but now I do them on Zoom and we get people coming from all over the world, which is is beautiful. Which is amazing because you can build a community and that is one thing that you really need to, to let's say, survive sobriety. You yeah. need that, that human contact and it doesn't necessarily have to be family and friends. For me, my mum obviously supported it but then I had a friend who I told that I was going to try and be sober for six months. It was never going to be a, a long-term thing for me, really. I just wanted to experiment because I'd relapsed so many times I didn't think it was possible to, hmm. to last this time. And I told him and he said, no, you won't be able to do three months. And that's a, a friend saying that. And that's what, that was one of my closest friends. And for me, that put me on the, the back burner, I'd say, and I wanted to prove him wrong. Yeah, yeah. But for some people that might um, beat them down and then they will go back to drinking. So I, I'm not sure whether it's good for people to, to broadcast their sobriety in the, in the early stages. Uh, I think it's better for them to find a community such as, yeah. as yours or um, yeah. Ruby Warrington's with, uh, and find the people that have been through those experiences. And, yeah, because uh, it, it's only us that understand each other, really, isn't it? I mean, exactly. look, we, we just met like half an hour ago and <laughs> we could probably rub it on all, all evening because we really get each other, you know, and that's the lovely thing about a community. And it always surprises me because if we're doing a workshop or if it's just, you know, our WhatsApp group, the people on there, they're, they're fairly kind of random. They probably wouldn't have met in normal life. Yet with a, within a few days, you know, they're pouring their hearts out to each other. And and the, it's just, for me, it's like the power of vulnerability, you know. And I love the kind of no bullshit of the mm -hmm. sober community. It, it is, you, exactly. Yeah. You, you yeah. have to be vulnerable to be able to heal. And you've been 
smothering your pains. One's been smothering their pains with alcohol for so many years that it's it's very freeing to finally be like, I drank for this reason. In early sobriety, you may not know the reasons, but you can express how you felt, what forced you to drink. That's that's how the community helps you stay sober because then there's other people. Because on some of the pieces I've wrote, some people have commented and I've been like, that that was heavy. <laughs> that's yeah. And and then it, it it makes me almost feel like a fraud because I haven't experienced that. Obviously, I've had my own pains, but this person's gone through X pain and they lost their their husband due to alcohol or a friend due to alcohol or they had health issues and you think, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't that bad, which is good because then it reinforces the decision to quit drinking. But then also you have that that fading effect bias where you think, mm. okay, my problems weren't as bad as these people. Maybe it's okay if I go back to drinking, which yeah, obviously yeah. we know there's there's no yeah. such thing as as one for yeah. us. And then that's well, at when least this- now, um, thanks to our friend William Porter, that who's put a name to this thing. We yeah. can, if we find ourselves having thoughts like that, we can think, oh, it's fading effect bias, and then exactly, uh, and then you can reach out, out to some the of community. Our writing, yeah. <laughs> And say, oh, God, we have that all the time. You know, people say, people that are maybe quite new and they say, oh, I've been sober six months now. I really feel like I can moderate. And we'll go, no, everyone piles in. Yeah. Because if you can moderate, you moderate. You know, you don't <laughs> you join tribe here. sober. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's the trouble. Again, going back to society, everybody pictures uh, an alcoholic as some some drunk on a bench passed out with a, a paper bag covered their bottle covering their bottle sorry and when in reality they they probably are on the scale of an alcoholic if you've got the wine mums who go home every night and crack open a, a bottle of wine or, or the people who go home and drink beers after work and then that's where the you lose that moderation aspect because it grows yeah. into something else and then people end up on yeah your platform or another platform do a couple of months as you say and then think oh yeah I can moderate again and it's yeah because I, I suppose people think oh I've learned you know I know how bad alcohol is and I know what the limits are now the limits are a bottle and a half of wine a week <laughs> a <laughs> I week used to put that away at evening yeah um so, you know, people think, all oh, right, I know that. So now I'm going to just stick within my bottle and a half of wine a week. And maybe they can for two, three weeks, but then it all falls apart. I know I, I was there for 10 years going round and round before I had to finally give up. Just, you know, you have to purely give up. It's, it's an all or nothing approach. Yes, and because I, we are all or nothing kind of people. I think most of the people that drink. Exactly. And as well, you don't have to reach rock bottom or hit rock no. bottom, sorry, to quit no. drinking. And that's another association that's been yeah. forced into our brains from society is you're you're an alcoholic and you, you hit rock bottom, your life is falling to pieces. That's why you don't drink. That's probably not probably. That's maybe why a lot of people don't want to admit they're an alcoholic because yeah, I, yeah. I can even remember um, I would get a few comments from, say, colleagues or things like that about about me being an alcoholic or a functioning alcoholic. The, the realisation would be there in my mind, but I wouldn't want to admit it to other people because then that would mean that I'd have to moderate my drinking and I wanted to carry on drinking freely. 
It was always my ambition because, you know, I knew I had an issue for a long, long time. And I always thought, I've got to control this drinking thing because if I really go over the top, I'll have to give up drinking and yeah. I can't bear that. <laughs> and, and now you look back and think. What was I thinking? Why, yeah. Why did I think <laughs> like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a relief being on the other side. It's, it's like freedom. So how are you keeping it all together, Liam? How are you staying on track? Tell us some tips people can use. Um, some tips. Oh, good question. Well, I mean, uproot your life and move to a new country. Move to Germany, obviously. <laughs> yeah, <yes>. Exactly. <laughs> but no, um, it's dedicate to the decision to quit. I, I acknowledge that you have a problem. You You don't have to say you're an alcoholic, but you just you can't moderate your drinking and then dedicate to that decision. I'd say that's the first step. Then prepare your, your course of action. So find triggering situations. For example, I used to drink a lot in awkward social situations for social lubrication and then end up blackout drunk, saying something obnoxious or doing something stupid. So find out those triggering situations and avoid them for the early stages of sobriety. Definitely. And then if you do find yourself in said situation, then have your story prepared as to why you're not drinking and, and be confident when you say it. Because yeah. then, as we said previously, people tend to back away if you have that confidence. You just have to say, I don't want to drink very sternly. And yeah. if you're not dedicated to your decision to be sober, then obviously you won't sound confident when you say I'm not drinking, because then you can easily be manipulated. I, I know as a, as a drinker, I also used to try and force people to drink. I don't know if you were the same. You'd be like, Oh, go on, like just have one and it will be fine. Yeah. Do you know, or or you're boring. We wanted to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, I'd say don't broadcast your decision until you're, you're certain. Um, uh, I was about, six months in and I decided to to publish one of my articles to Facebook so that was really personal because then it was going outside of Medium and into my friendship group and a couple of people wrote to me and said it was really inspiring they've been having some issues with mental health and everything through COVID and it's inspired them to to quit drinking but again it it may not work that way for some people, depending on their family or friends. It may back, backfire on them and then people will come out them and be like, oh, since when were you boring then? Or, yeah. So that could be detrimental. So I'd say if you are going to broadcast your decision, broadcast it to a safe group of people in the early stages until you're really, really secure in the fact of your sobriety. Then, yeah, I've already said beware of triggers and spend time alone. Yeah. I, I think as much as we've said it's good to be social and being in these these circles and forums and everything like that, I, I found that my drinking time was to escape from myself and from my life, and I didn't really take time to reflect. And it's, it's going to sound really, I don't know, wanky, I suppose, but time to um, – grow internally and become mindful i don't yeah. yeah um so i started in on the first of january this year actually i started doing yoga every day and meditating Fantastic. 
and it's it's made such an incredible difference. And the journal, journaling is still happening, although not as frequently because I don't need to as much anymore. But the the meditation and yoga. So for people just starting out, find something else to do in in sobriety and carry it on. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be fitness. People always think I have to become sober and become a, a gym bunny, but you could you could play chess or I don't know start drawing it, it's just something that that fills your heart because that was one thing for me as well I realized that because I was trying to become successful in the the standards societal terms of you know work up to a good career and have money and everything that's pushed on you it took away from that creativity that I had as a child and then as I was drinking, I'd be hungover in the mornings and have no time to, to do anything like that. And then in sobriety, I found that creativity aspect again. And that was also an, an outlet for any of the anxiety that was pent up over the years. So I would say definitely find something that fills you with joy or, or, or look back on the past and be and realize, OK, I enjoyed I tried doing that. I'm going to pursue that as a hobby or if you really don't know anything, just do everything, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. join online clubs, do just search meet there. There's a website called meetup. Obviously it might not be yeah. functioning as well during this time, but they still do online classes. They do say horror movie nights or yeah. Language exchange. It's there's so many possibilities, but with the extra time that you're not spent drunk or hungover, you can enhance your life so much. And then that acts as a, a catalyst to, to keep you sober because you can Absolutely. feel that, that yeah. action of moving forwards yeah. And, yeah. and realize I've been a drunk for X amount of time. I've wasted this amount of money and so much time in my life. And now you can look forward and say, okay, I'm going to start building from scratch. I'm going to reinforce these habits, become healthier, become more mindful, just anything really to keep your mind off alcohol. It was someone on Medium, sorry, I can't remember the exact author, but they talked about the the wine witch. Claire <laughs> Pooley, that's her thing. Yeah. And saying about the, the time that you would normally start drinking, find something yeah. to distract you. So, exactly. and, and getting outside for those, and those 10 minutes. And another one of your previous guests as well said that you don't have to exercise for 60 minutes. You can work out for just 10 minutes and that's just enough time to get the serotonin flowing again. So that's yeah. good enough. For, and cravings don't last that long. No. People think that cravings are going to be there. So. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. 
but yeah, I loved what you said. Well, I loved a lot of that. And I love the yoga and the mindfulness. It, it It's just so nourishing to do that sort of stuff. And I think we get so much time back, don't we, when, when we stop drinking, because I was either planning my drinking, doing it, or recovering from it. There was no spare mm-hmm. time. And I always used to say, because I had a you know full-on corporate job for many years, and then I would say, well, my hobby is socializing, by which, of course, I meant drinking with my friends, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> and that was a hobby. I, <laughs> of course it was. And then staggering to work the next day. I think what you said about you're enjoying time alone, I, th- I think that's that's really nice as well, because I always used to think, oh, you know, I've only, I'm only going out three nights this week. I'd, I'd better ring somebody up. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was always kind of on the go and wanting to go out and party and this and that. But now, you know, I well, maybe it's slightly COVID-related, but I spend a lot of time alone. You know, I'm either writing, you know, or doing some of my work or, or thinking or doing yoga. And uh, I love being alone these days, and I find it very nourishing. And I'm beginning to think that I probably am an introvert, whereas I always used to think that I was an extrovert. But there's there's a book by Susan Cain called Quiet, and she talks about introverts okay. and extroverts. And she says that uh, 50%, you know, about 50% of society are introverts, the other 50 extroverts. But the introverts feel kind of under pressure because, uh, you know, we have we go to our corporate jobs and we're making presentations mm. and, you know, being out there. And then mm-hmm. uh, we're being out there when we're socializing or, or networking, you know, for business purposes. So introverts often get dependent on alcohol because they use it as a coping mechanism. And I thought that was so interesting. And there's a a lot of introverts in our community. Yes, yeah. So we're kind of relying on that because society almost um, pushes us to be more extrovert than we are sometimes. So, uh, you know, some of us struggle with dealing with that. Yeah, and and then as well, yeah, you're labelled as boring if you don't drink. So if you're an introvert and you need al- alcohol, I mean, it doesn't actually help in the long run. But if you need alcohol to become more sociable, then you're going to rely on that because otherwise you're labelled boring, and then you get pushed out of the tribe. Which through evolution, we we don't want that feeling. So it's just yeah, like yeah. everything just reinforces everything. And then, as you say, it can evolve into a, a drinking problem because the introverts yeah. feel like they, they need that to socialize. And it's just yeah. catalyst yeah. after catalyst. It's just... Yeah. But I, I also loved what you said about um, thinking back to what you enjoyed uh, in your childhood because a lot of people that have been just socializing for all of their spare time or sitting on the sofa with a bottle of wine watching netflix that's the other thing you know that's, if you're on that's your own very normal now isn't it <laughs> very normal so if if you're just doing that and then you stop drinking and you have time on your hands a lot of people say to me i don't really know what to do i don't know what i do like doing <laughs> so it's that's kind of nice, isn't it? Because it's a journey of discovery. So just as you say, uh, you you thought back of what you enjoyed as a child and it brought out your creativity, which yeah. is lovely. Which had been suppressed by corporation, yeah. co- working in yeah. corporate jobs and, yeah, alcohol. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's very humbling to, to go back and reimagine how it is to be a child because you have no restrictions and then yeah, you, you, yeah. you go through school and then you get thrown out into the world and it's like 
stop being so creative like you need yeah. to follow the path of everyone else and yeah so it's nice to reflect on that definitely if you had to pick one benefit of sobriety what would you say the biggest benefit i'd say is my change in self and how i view life and relationships because before everything was so fleeting because i was searching for that high from uh, alcohol or drugs and then throw away sex and then because that was fueled by the the, the need to constantly be stimulated because when you're, you're drinking obviously you're always getting this the the hits of dopamine in your brain and then in sobriety everything's become more more stable and as as the chemicals in my brain have have recalibrated as have my my feelings and emotions so i would say that emotionally sobriety has benefited me so much i couldn't even put it into words how much it's it's changed my out, um, outlook on everything been incredible really thank you liam that was such an inspiring conversation let's pick out a few highlights liam's first experience of alcohol was at the tender age of 13 when he enthusiastically downed a half a litre of vodka and then promptly passed out. Now, that experience would put many people right off alcohol, but in fact, Liam couldn't wait to do it again, and he carried on drinking heavily, keen to fit in with his skateboarding crowd. At 16, he left home to gain a bit more freedom, and that's when drugs entered the mix. By the age of 24, he knew he had a problem on his hands, And he did make efforts to sober up now and again. But the problem was, every time he tried, his relapses would be serious. Anything from a week to a month, when he would be drinking from the moment he woke up to the time he went to bed. Alcohol took Liam to a very dark place. He felt he'd created a horrible life for himself and he just wanted to escape from it. He even had suicidal thoughts, which were being fueled by alcohol. In 2018, he started journaling. He found himself reading back over the pages, and he saw the pain in his words. He knew he had to do something, or he just wouldn't survive. He chose a rather unusual method to get sober, one that's certainly not in our workshop toolkit, maybe it should be. He decided to move to a different country. You could almost call it a geographical reset. Liam actually moved to Germany, where he reinvented himself as sober Liam. He created an entirely new friend circle. He rejected anyone who didn't accept his sobriety, as they just didn't fit in with his new life. This approach reminds me of the pregnancy principle, which Laura McEwen talks about in her book, We Are the Luckiest. She says, treat your sobriety as a pregnancy, something to be nurtured. It has to be protected above anything else. Anyone or anything that doesn't fit in with your sobriety has to go. In spite of his strong resolve, it was obviously not an easy path. And a few months into sobriety, Liam found himself desperate to drink again, just to have a bit of fun, as he puts it. He bravely powered through this difficult patch and started writing. The writing really helped him. He was writing about sobriety, 
and it gave him some accountability. He was researching his articles and educating himself about the harm that alcohol does, which helped him to resist it. Liam is such a talented writer, and I discovered him via his articles on Medium. His soberversary is next month, so I'm hoping he will write a goodbye to alcohol letter for our collection. If you haven't discovered our goodbye to alcohol letters, then please go to tribesober.com and hit inspiration. We talked about Liam's future. He has many happy and healthy years ahead of him, which certainly wouldn't have been the case had he kept drinking. He even gave us a few tips. He says, find a community of people on the same path, people who will understand you. If you broadcast your sobriety to all your family and friends too early, then you may find that some of them are just not supportive. Have your story ready. If you sound confident when you say you're not drinking, then people will be less likely to persist. Number three. Accept the fact that you will never be able to drink. Make peace with it and make your sobriety a priority for a while. Number four, don't wait until you hit rock bottom. I think Liam would be the first to admit that he did have a rock bottom. So did I. So have many people in our community. But you don't have to. If you're worried about your drinking, if it's on your mind, then do something about it. Because one thing you can be sure of, it's going to get worse over the years. And finally, Liam suggested that we spend more time alone. Keep a journal, try yoga and meditation. Just search for activities that will bring you joy. So thank you, Liam. Thank you for sharing your story and for giving us those tips. Now here in South Africa, we've just moved into spring. Every year, Tribe Sober runs a Sober Spring Challenge, which consists of 66 alcohol-free days with online audio and community support. It's great fun because we put our challenges on what we call the Sober Spring Bus, which is, of course, a WhatsApp group, and they travel through those 66 days together. We run two buses every year. The first Sober Spring Bus left on the 1st of September, and our second bus leaves on the 27th of September. So please go to tribesober.com if you'd like more info. And even if it's not spring where you live, Sober Autumn works just as well. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.